Hello and welcome to the Leadership in Action interview. I'm delighted to be talking today with the Deputy Leader of the House of Commons, David Heath. David Heath MP, CBE, was educated at Millfield School, Oxford University and City University London. He holds an MA in Physiological Sciences from Oxford and has been involved in politics since 1985 when he was elected to Somerset County Council. He served as Leader of the Council from 1985 to 1989 and then as Leader of the Opposition until 1991. Also, in 1989, David was awarded the CBE for his service to politics. In 1992, he turned his attention to Westminster, contesting the general election, and in 1997 was elected as the Liberal Democrat MP for the Somerton and Froome constituency, which he has represented ever since. It wasn't long before he was appointed to the front bench, where he served in various roles, culminating in Shadow Leader of the House, becoming Deputy Leader on the formation of the Coalition Government. David has a deserved reputation as a principled and hard-working MP, being consistently rated in the top percentile for attendance and for asking questions in the House, in addition to fulfilling his constituency duties. In 2008, he took the step of resigning from the Shadow Cabinet so he could follow his conscience on the European Constitution referendum vote, and he was also amongst the handful of MPs to come out of the expenses rally with an unblemished record. Welcome, David. Pleasure. And how are you today? Um... Tired, but that's my, my normal state of affairs. But other than that, it's been, been a busy week. <laughs> yeah, it has been. Yeah. Uh, David, I wonder if you could explain a little more about how you came to be Deputy Leader of the House of Commons. Uh, well, it's an appointment by the Prime Minister, like all, uh, all uh, ministerial positions. Um, I guess it was, uh, there was, I was a natural candidate for it in that I had acted um, for a while as uh, um, a shadow leader of the House in opposition. Um, I worked very closely with Sir George Young, who is my colleague, who is the leader of the House. Um, and uh, we share many of the same views on reform of the House of Commons, making it more effective, uh, more um, uh, responsive. Um, and, uh, and so, I, I, as I say, I guess I was probably a good candidate, um, but um, still a great pleasure to be appointed. Yeah, and um, what do you suppose were the qualities that um, were seen in you that... Brought about your initial appointment to the shadow position. It's difficult to tell. Um, I mean, I think to do a to do a good job in the House of Commons from the front bench, you 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 have to be able to actually perform in in the House of Commons. Um, you, it's it's no good being somebody who simply um, uh, works outside the House. You have to be able to articulate. People's concerns. You have to show, be able to show leadership in the uh, uh, in the Commons setting itself. So, so that's one of the qualities. Um, but you also have to have, I, I think, I would like to think, some original ideas about whatever portfolio you're asked to shadow or to take on, um, and to have a commitment to uh, testing the government. If you're in the opposition, if if you're in government, actually taking forward the policies of the government. Okay, thank you. And what exactly does the deputy leader do? That's a really good question. Yeah. <laughs> you haven't worked out yourself. Yeah. Well, no, I, I think I know, but a lot of my colleagues don't. Um, certainly, nobody outside that. It's a very, it's a, it's an odd position. Um, I mean, the what the simple answer is: I, do. I, I work very closely with the leader of the house. Whatever he does, I do. And whatever I do, he does. Um, because we don't differentiate between our roles. Um, we work very much as a team. But what does the leader of the house do? Well. It's, it's an odd position because it's a position that's in government but also has a uh, responsibility to the wider House of Commons, to, to all members. Um, so although we are the, 
the voice of government within the House of Commons, but also the voice of the House of Commons within government. Um, and some of that is backroom work. It's um, dealing with the day-to-day business of the House, planning the parliamentary calendar, um, ensuring that legislation is brought forward in good order um, and uh, make sure we have sufficient time to uh, scrutinise legislation properly. Partly it's reform of the, uh, of the House of Commons, uh, which falls into our purview. So um, some of the things that we've done recently, like introduce a, a backbench business committee, introduce a, a, an e-petition, uh, site, things like that are things that, that um, George and I have been working on. Um, and partly it's, it's acting as a, um, a voice for the House of Commons. Um, occasionally the House needs to speak as one um, and then it falls to the, to the leader of the House, deputy leader of the House, to, uh, to do that. Okay. Um, I'm fascinated, so I'm sure you are also, uh, by the art of leading people over whom you have no direct authority. Mm. It takes more skill, I believe, than leading direct reports who expect to follow, naturally. Um, could you tell us how you go about it? For example, if you're trying to build support for a bill or a, a, a motion. It's an interesting thing. I mean, I think it helps if you, if you have good relationships with colleagues anyway. Um, I've, I've always taken the view that um, once somebody is elected, it doesn't matter what their party affiliation is, if I can work with them, I will. Um, if it's for the benefit of constituents or the benefit of, uh, of good government, then uh, yeah, you, you don't just sort of turn your back on people simply because you've got a different party label. So I've always been one of those who looks for consensus, looks for um, trying to bring people together. And I, I hope, you know, I like to think that I'm on friendly terms with uh, a lot of people in, in the house, they don't see me as, as uh, someone who's either remote or uh, um, or, or uh, dogmatic uh, in my approach. So I think that that helps, uh, and particularly important in my in my current role, where, as I say, you are um, there is partly a a, a, um, a parochial um, role uh, as well in pastoral role in dealing with with colleagues. Um, I think you need to be persuasive. Um, people will not be persuaded to support something that they simply cannot see the advantages of. So you have to marshal your arguments, you have to be able to demonstrate that what you're proposing um, actually does make sense. And you have to sometimes accept that people will disagree um, and, uh, and move on. Um, because, in, particularly in politics, you, know, you never will get complete agreement on everything. Even within a single party, you will not get uh, agreement on, 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 on things because people have different views. And it's right that they have different views, and those different views may be from points of principle, they might be from um, the political programmes, they might be because of the different way that a particular measure may affect their own constituents and, they, uh, and that they will wish to stand up for that. And I think you know, a wise leader accepts the fact that occasionally you will have differences and that actually it doesn't matter that that is the case. I mean, it matters if the people who you look on for support constantly disagree with you, if you've done mm-hmm. something wrong, if yeah. that's the case. But occasional disagreements, occasional differences of opinion, in a, if you're civilised and grown up about it, you ought to be able to say, OK, well, we've talked this through, I, you, you have your view, I have mine, we can't come to a meeting minds. Um, let's just accept that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Um, 
What do you think are some of the key differences and perhaps some similarities as well between leading in a political as compared to a business context? Well, that's an interesting one. Um, there are so many different models of business, um, and some are very hierarchical, um, and some are not. Um, I think the ones that tend to do better are those which are not, um, generally speaking. Um, but that's um, a, a, probably a prejudice um, on, on my part. In politics, you haven't got the same hierarchy. You have, you have the whips, you have the whipping system, you have the fact that people are, have an obligation um, because if they stand for a political party, I think there's a reasonable expectation that you will support the programme on which you were elected as far as you possibly can. So, so there, is, there is that process. But at the end of the day, there is no sanction other than the, your electorate. Um, and it's your electorate that actually matters. So you know, if you find that you simply cannot support a lot of what your party is doing, yes, you shouldn't be holding high office in that party. That, that would be irresponsible. Um, you shouldn't be uh, uh, a minister or, a, or on the front bench if you can't accept what the party is putting forward. There is a thing called collective responsibility, and actually quite an important doctrine that, that if you're in government... Um, we are corporately responsible for everything that government does, even if we privately have misgivings about it. You, if, you, if those misgivings get to the point where you can't, uh, you, you think that that weighs um, your, the positive thoughts, then you, you, the only proper thing to do is to resign. But as a backbencher, you know, there is a point where, where you, you, you can express your own opinion, you can, you can do what you think is right, um, and there is no sanction, effective sanction within politics that says you can't until you get to the ballot box mm-hmm. um, where you may find you don't have the support of your own party or if you do have the support of your own party you may not have the support of the electorate um, for what you've been doing so that's that's essential business you know obviously totally different, different um, uh, situation um, and you will have <coughs> you will have differences of opinion within business which have to be resolved because otherwise you will cease to function as a business. Um, you will have, to a degree, a hierarchical structure because at the end somebody is the boss. Um, and their view, having heard, you know, if they're a good boss, they will listen to the opinions of others and then they will make up their mind. I think the situation in business is more to the position in government of a, of a minister who will take advice from a civil service mm-hmm. rather than actual political process. Um, and so uh, a minister will you'll have an issue, you'll be given a range of advice, um, you will be given different options, and at the end only you make that decision. Uh, and then you are responsible for it and uh, accountable for what you've, what you've done. Civil service will faithfully uh, and usually very effectively carry out your instruction, but at the end of the day, they don't take the decision. Correct, yeah, so um, some, some key similarities, but also yeah, quite a different um, background in terms yes. of the, the stakeholders that mm. you have to be accountable to. Um, as you'll appreciate, David, times are constantly changing, and as leaders we have to evolve too. Um, what do you think being a good leader means in the modern, uh, in the modern world? Um, I think it has changed. Um, as I perhaps suggested earlier, I think 
we live in less differential times. We live in more um, in, 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 a, in a period when people um, tend to be more collegiate in their approach. That's that's the way I think it should be. Um, you will get some throwbacks. You will get some autocrats still, but um, but generally speaking, I think people tend to be more collegiate. You see this in the professions. I mean, I, I used to be an optician before I was a a, um, a, a politician and. Um, uh, you find then that uh, uh, I found that I, I've lived through a period where you start off with people taking uh, your word absolutely at face value. You 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 said this is what you have, this is what I'm going to do for you. And people accept that, um, and gradually people said, no, hang on a minute, um, I think I've got this instead. Um, and especially once we have the internet and IT, people said, oh no, I've looked it up on the, uh, you're, you're completely wrong, because I've looked it up on the website. And you're like, well, okay, um, why have you come to me? Um, if you know better. Um, but so, so I think we, you know, we live in more questioning times. We live in, in, in a period where people are less, less easily susceptible to um, a simple assertion of authority. Um, the, the old sort of parental thing, because I said so, um, is, not, is not a good enough. Argument anymore. If you want to take people with you, you have to, uh, you have to perhaps explain a little more. But uh, no, I still think there's actually a huge range, and there are some successful companies where the autocratic model is still is still the, the, the basis. Whether they will remain successful, mm. I have my doubts. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, who are the great leaders who've inspired you, and what were the qualities you particularly admire about them? That's a very difficult question. Um, <laughs> it's a very difficult question because I, I am one of those people who tend to assume everyone, every, everyone has, um, uh, has feet of clay. Uh, you know, I, I don't expect people to be heroic in every aspect. There are people who I admire, who I, um, who I think have done a good job, but, they, uh, but I don't put them on the pedestal. I don't expect them to not have failings because my experience is that everybody has failings. It's just you hope that the good things outweigh the bad things. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, so as I say, I'm, you know, my, 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 my political heroes tend to be quite historic um, rather yeah. than current, um, mm-hmm. perhaps because um, we know what their failings were, we don't expect anything different um, from them. Uh, so, you know, someone like David Floyd George, you know, yeah. a very mixed um, <laughs> personality and many things he did I thought were appalling but he achieved great things um, and there are many people in the, through history that have done that now. Now this one might be a bit contentious and I'll understand if you don't want to answer it. Um, I wonder if you could give some examples of poor leadership and what lessons do you think we can learn from them? I'm not sure I can give easy examples of I, I can tell you what, what I, uh, circumstances which I think are, uh, are, are, are results of poor leadership. I mean, the worst thing, I think, is failure to communicate direction. So, so you get dither, you get inaction, you get, uh, you, you, you get stasis. Failure to take decisions um, at the end of the day um, is, uh, is a, a, a fatal flaw for, um, for governments, for administrations. Um, if, you, uh, if you put off everything, um, because it's a bit difficult, then eventually you end up achieving nothing. Uh, and occasionally you do have to be bold. Um, I mean, coming back to, uh, um, uh, to, to David Floyd George, I think it was him who said that you, 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 uh, you can't, you can't uh, jump a chasm in two strides. Mm-hmm. Uh, occasionally you do have to say, no, I have looked at this. This is, this is a bold step. 
or we go to it because we won't otherwise get to where we want to be. And I'm afraid to say, uh, another thing which besets politicians is the wish to be to to for everyone to love them. Um, and it's a, a, a desperate wish sometimes. Um, and actually, you can't do that um, because you sometimes have to do things which people don't like, um, and which, in a perfect world, they would wish you weren't doing. Um, but in order to meet with circumstances as you find them, you have got to say, "Well, look, I'm sorry. This is this is." nasty medicine but it's necessary in order to go this way to where we want to be um, so um, so I think as I say the failures of leadership are usually where people simply cannot cannot bring themselves to provide a clear uh, a, a clear way forward either because they can't reach a decision themselves or because they are afraid to alienate anybody and therefore alienate everybody <laughs> um, it's almost that's almost worse than taking the wrong decision because the wrong decision you can always change course if you need to but at least something's happening doing nothing is usually the wrong the wrong uh, the wrong result yeah. okay thank you David you seem to carry a huge workload with all your responsibilities in Westminster and back in the constituency how do you cope how can you give some examples of some of the key strategies you use for personal effectiveness it is very difficult, and that's not me whinging. It's just a fact. Uh, you know, I, I think I, I, I've never understood how MPs, uh, some MPs, seem to be able to do other paid employment. Um, you know, from my concern, it, it's a very full-time job um, uh, dealing with the constituency um, issue, especially in a constituency like this, which is enormously rural. And uh, you know, I have 135 villages um, and 900 square miles. It's a, it's a just simply getting around. And listening to people and, and uh, um, uh, being in dialogue with constituencies is difficult enough. But um, and then when you put on top of that ministerial uh, work, which is uh, fills up my entire working day when I'm in the House of Commons. Um, so from you know eight half past eight in the morning till late in the evening, I, my diary is, is is full, and it does make Life more difficult. It means you rely more and more on key members of staff to do to do jobs, um, and you know they need to do the preparation for you. They need to, to put things in the right order, um, make sure I get to the right place at the right time, um, I, uh, which I try to do and don't always succeed. Um, make sure that with casework, for instance, um, casework is that's the one thing that you must allow to to slip. Um, and um, therefore having someone effective working as a caseworker um, who can do the background work not they, they don't actually write the letters at the end of the day I have to do that I have to sign, sign things off but they do need to they, they can uh, look at the problem look at how we approach it and, um, and progress trace as well which is the other key thing when you've um, sent a letter simply just waiting then and nothing happening you will You've got a constituent who's waiting for, for an answer, not for uh, the question to be put. So, I would say having having uh, an efficient uh, and effective uh, constituency office is is absolutely crucial. And you've got to be prepared to, to put in the long hours. Uh, it's you know, we don't have weekends um, as MPs. Sundays I try to keep. If I possibly can, Saturdays is, a, is a largely a working day. That's when I do my surgeries. It's when I, when I um, go to uh, 
uh, events and things around the constituency. And I have to say, since being in government, that even that has become more difficult because the, the responsibilities of government encroach sometimes. You know, so I, I'm asked to be still in, in Whitehall on a, on a Friday when I used to be able to get back on a Thursday night. So it's compressing the time, and it means we have to use the time effectively. So effective delegation and having a team that you can trust. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yes. Um, and there's nothing worse than um, either either trying to do everything yourself, in which case you fail, or having people around you uh, who you can't trust to do something. Mm-hmm. There are, you 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 get things badly done, and then that takes twice as long or three times as long because you have to do it again. Mm-hmm. Finally, David, if you had one piece of advice to give our listeners on effective leadership, what would it be? Um, listen first, then decide. Mm-hmm. I think that's the key. Um, I think you've got to hear what others say, but at the end of the day, if you're going to provide leadership, then you there comes a point when listening finishes, uh, you've heard the advice, and then you've got to make up your mind and not just let it let it, uh, let it go by default. Okay, thank you. Uh, so, what's the next challenge for you, David? Who knows? <laughs> Ask the Prime Minister. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, thank you, David. That's really fascinating and insightful. Um, it's always interesting to get perspective on leadership from outside the world of business, which most of us tend to inhabit. So, many thanks for your time today. And... Um, I wish you luck with whatever your next challenge is that the Prime Minister throws at you. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Thank you.